episode 15 of the exit strategy fintech unicorn valuations taking a hit in 2022 getty acquires grocery app rival gorilla in a 1.2 billion dollar deal and what's the one slide 99 percent of founders get wrong when fundraising now let's hear the count one two you're listening to The Exit Strategy, a podcast that inspires open discussions about financial news and technology today. My name, Marcus McGarian, a recovering SaaS vendor, joined by my co-hosts, Ralph DeFiori and Swadek Mazumdar. And we're sitting down with startup founders, technology experts. Now let's begin. Yeah, come on. Let's, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's pick it up. We're, we're, what, are we, what are we waiting for? Let's begin the podcast right now. We had the countdown in the beginning. Then we come on, and then we have to do our spiel, right? Yeah, that's, that's right. It. So, I mean, what, what are we what are we going to be talking about? Today? This is Swadek uh... and Ralph. We, we're back in this this thing. It's the Twilight Zone. Maybe it's the we're coming back to normal. Maybe it's Hanukkah in like uh, six days, or we got Christmas in about uh, thirteen days. Uh, you know, the first the first thing I'm, I'm I, I open my uh, my my financial times this morning, I'm seeing like fintech unicorn valuations fall in 2022. I, I, I don't know what to do anymore. I don't know what to do anymore. You know, Swadek, you're wearing a Team USA jersey. So what exactly what are we going to do? I want to hear a lot of chanting on your part. Let's go USA. <laughs> well, that's, uh, you know, we, we are the leaders of the world. So... Uh, when it falters, uh, you know, some of the blame, you know, rests on our shoulders as well. These fintechs that were valued at very, very lofty uh, numbers uh, are not looking good. And it's just sign of the times, slow down the market. You know, the Fed wants these kind of things to happen. You know, the uh, the weak ones will go away. The new, you know, the, the stronger ones will stay. Yeah. I mean, I, I met... I met Plaid, Plaid, which Plaid, uh, yeah. lost tremendous valuations through Twitter. They were just finished raising twenty million or something like very small compared to what they got later. And I met with their first employee and head of New York, quote unquote. And um, I didn't get the job, but I got the interview. So, but that company uh, shot up like a like a rocket ship. I was surprised that. Um, they didn't fi- they didn't finalize their deal with Visa, you know. And and when you see companies like uh, on this list here, like Stripe and Klarna, um, you know these are these are big names. I mean, yeah, credit card processing, processing, buy now, pay later. I don't think either of you guys have used buy now and pay later. I I have actually. You have. Yeah, uh, I use a firm. I believe that was the firm that was using it. Yeah, that was a Canadian um, one. Yeah, yeah. So I bought, uh, I bought Golf Set. So I had four installments I could pay it. I think it's a good service. But what happens is, what happens after if you don't make those payments? Oh, there's like a penalty fee. I think it goes up to like twenty seven dollars yeah, yeah, or something. Yeah, but forget the 30. fee. Fee is a small part of that. What if you don't yeah. pay? You know. The four, because if you pay those four, it's not a problem. There's no interest, nothing, you know, it's all yeah. taken care of. They share the, you know, the the margins between themselves. And, you know, you pay in your dent at every uh, yeah. payment is not that much. You f- don't feel that pain. Um, but if you don't pay, then all these things come into play, right? Which I think will, will happen. And that's why all these yeah. different 
uh, you know, uh, buy now, pay later firms are going to be facing. The debt is definitely rising, right? We know that. Yeah, but there's no interest. That's the whole point of the thing. So, well, like, no you'll interest. have a penalty. Well, there is no interest if you pay in those four installments. But the the penalty is that you get charged the fee for it. So, like, let's it's a flat fee. Everyone pays the same fee, no matter what the value is. And the thing is that, like, you'll be, get charged like thirty six dollars or twenty seven dollars. I forget the exact number that it was, but that's it. So, in the short term, your interest would be high. If, you know, if you, they never collect, <laughs> like, uh, interest would be quite low if it took you like a year to pay back the um, the cost of the good plus the late charge. R Ralph, you, you're not. Um, you're not doing no, I, I was um, uh, I was going to suggest that we should explain how it works, because when you use your credit card and you buy a pack of gum normally, uh, you the the merchant is going to pay out of that purchase, right out of the money you spent, they're going to pay a fee to the credit card company. And what the how these installment plans work, and Marcus, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, what they what these companies that offer the installment plans say: don't pay the credit cards uh, company, pay us. And um, you know that that's how it works, isn't that right, Marcus? Uh, have I got that right? Yeah, you, you as long as you make the payment. I mean, like you could right. I mean you you have you could call them and you could say, Hey, I'm gonna be late 14 days. That's okay. They'll give you up to 14 days extension per payment, but they won't do anything else. I mean, but you'll have other companies, depending on which one you use, they're gonna be using uh late fees of up to $35. Um and I, I mean, I, I they're not charging any loans on it, you know, but there there are some levels of hidden fees, of course. I mean, I just, I've never used the system. Yeah, I just so, know uh, as, from meeting as, with them, yeah. Yeah, as far as, as far as the processing fees concerned, you're still paying by credit card, right? So the processing fee is still incurring. Yeah, after pay charges, late fees, it can be $8 or 25% of the order. Klarna itself has no interest, no fees, but it has three options to come along with varying terms around late fees and interest according to the website, exactly. et cetera. Exactly. Uh, but shoppers could expect $7 late fee to 25% of the installment amount. But you have to figure that most people that are using this are not buying products. I think you've purchased the most expensive products, which is the entire golf club set. Swatting. Right. So I paid what 2500 bucks. So I broke it up in four parts. I paid 625. So it cost me 625 per I think it was I think it was every eight weeks, something to that effect. Yeah, the so I just average... spread so I spread that purchase over you know 40 weeks. Yeah, so the average effect. order paid by a buy now, pay later loan is $149 compared to $141 for a credit card. That's data from Salesforce. So they're a um, you know, trusty CRM in the end. But um, it's pretty much, a, it's it's a low cost. I mean, it's crazy to me because I, I, I don't, I haven't read the fine print, but what happens if you don't pay within six months or a year? Like, who does... 
And they got to be uh, serious penalties. Default, it's, yeah. Default rates. No, but there's, there's no. It's not like it's too small for the sheriff to come to your house. You know, <laughs> so. Um, let me see. Late fees are thirty five dollars. You know, the, the highest. What would you market. say the average ticket price was a hundred and something? That seems uh, pretty low, though. One hundred forty nine dollars. No, but that's what I'm saying is that most people are not going to be buying high ticket priced items on a buy now pay later site. It's it's really a direct to consumer, high scale. It's probably going to be like e commerce. Wait, yeah. wait, Marcus, is that the average? Um, the average installment? ticket size, yeah. Not it's average, average right, but size they're, but they're, of the ticket. So divide that by the four. By four, yeah. Yeah, but there but, must be people like Swatek who. Uh, use the installment plan for $2,500 purchase. But uh, for every one of those, there's probably uh, 750,000 people who used it to but buy something, you know, worth uh, $250, right? Yeah, but if you, if you bought a product, yeah, if the average product's 149, so let's say, you know, if you divide that by four, I mean, you're talking about 37, 35, dollars yeah. $37. Yeah. Per installment, but then the late charges are up to $35. So that's a massive. And remember, when we used to do those um, revenue-based finance or those, which is similar to the MCA loans, the, the loophole with those things is that they're not charging an interest rate. So that means that they don't have to register with the state, right? Like every state has a different policy and regulation towards the credit system. And buy now, pay later is just a way to get through the system. I mean, but if the fintech market's being impacted by all this, we look at things like the SPAC market, you have all these new cool ways of doing old school things or through a loophole in the in the system. And all it's done has shown that it's just not valid. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't last. It's it's low quality. You know, so it's 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 just you're seeing the same cycle, I guess, going through every sector or every portion of the fintech sector. And I'm going to guess that's what's actually impacting the market. I mean, the, the hardest part, I'll, I'll, give it to, I'll give it to you from my, my point of view in this fintech market. It's that it's extremely segregated. So like everything that happens in France happens in France. Everything that happens in the United States happens on a state by state basis. And you have to register with every state. London or UK, it's its own thing. Germany, Netherlands, Spain. So it's extremely difficult to expand until you keep regulating each sector of the economy that you're going into. The high, the hottest place that I see right now in terms of investments is the B2B SaaS space. That's things that doesn't require any kind of regulation. I don't need to register to do a UX analytics platform. It's just a platform. You just go, you sell it, you put a line of JavaScript and you're done. But like, um, if the, I mean, if you're looking at the numbers, uh, their chart, the, the technical interest rates above 25%. And you can't charge above 25% in New York state, you know, because it becomes usurious. Well, that makes sense. You know, I heard somebody, uh, uh, on TV saying that, uh, you know, it was like CNBC, that the credit card um, charges could be 30%. So maybe it's a different state than uh, New York. 
but I mean, that's, that's just crazy. Yeah, every, no, every, st- I mean, I, I remember when we were working with like that, uh, that credit fund, the, um, I was looking at state by state basis. It's like, wow, this is very expensive how you could charge on these, uh, MCA style loans, but it's because it's technically not debt. But Marcus, going back to what you said about, uh, unicorn, fintech unicorns, uh, going dramatically lower in 2022 it's it's i'm sure if you if you look through the data uh financial uh data you'll see that these companies have been growing well meanwhile the valuation has been going lower yeah i don't know we don't have the financials right i mean we have the, the the i see i see the difference between the companies that i talk to here the ones that are doing well are the ones that don't have a lot of hype because they have stabilizing ebitda margins they're breaking even or they're getting into profitability and all those things and a lot of times it's that a lot of these fintech startups what they're doing is taking a very boring thing and trying to make it sexy and every time you do that it's like it's 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 still like a credit system it's just you know if it's a buy now pay later or some other thing uh, the IRS now wants uh, anybody with over $600 in Venmo or Cash App to report that as earnings. Um, you know, that's going to, you know, that's going to create, you know, especially for the free gig economy people, create a lot of issues, right? Uh, yeah. Now you have a 1099K, uh, you know, again, they exclude, they said they exclude folks that are you know gifting somebody or you know sharing food costs or you know food uh bills and stuff like that but how how do you how do you differentiate that you know uh who's who's going to be digging through this you know it's no i mean just think of the people that make their living selling on ebay right or um you know i don't know if it applies to amazon but certainly ebay if you sell something uh and it's over six hundred dollars, or cumulatively, uh, that's the thing. <laughs> well, uh, they're taxing more people, but they're hiring more IRS agents, right? Yes, they are. <laughs> Which who they can hire? They can't like, hire. You're them, you're, you're, com- you're coming out of college, like, hey, do you want to work at the sexy startup over here, or do you want to go work at the IRS? Huh? Let me tell you, son. <laughs> you get a Ferrari or a Buick. Which one do you choose? It's the same thing. There's no free, there's no bean bags and uh, free food at the uh, the IRS, unless yeah. it's changed. Yeah. You know, oh, you think it's spiffy? They have uh, coffee machines, donuts. No, like like at Bloomberg, you know, they have like yeah. uh, breakfast. Oh, Bloomberg's great. Bloomberg's great. Right. Google's great. Google's got like right. seven cafeterias in that one their first building, and they got they bought two new buildings. So it's like. Uh, it doesn't stop. Imagine the new J.P. Listen, Morgan they, building over there on they're 48th They're cutting Street. down. They're cutting down on all these freebies. What about Twitter? You oh, got to yeah. sleep there, work there 24 hours a day, and sleep there. That's what Musk wants. Because that'd be, be an exciting experience for a younger person. But but but, but there's free coffee, uh, right. bean bags. That's the difference. You know, at, at Google they give you scooter scooters to get around the floor. You pick up a scooter, just scoot over and around. Really? Yeah, Ralph, get tired I think we, of the should game all, room. we should all start sleeping in an office and save on all the mortgage. Right? Yeah. 
Marcus, I'll tell you an uh, uh, interesting story since you brought up scooters and Swatek. When my first real job was with uh, National Cash Register, NCR. And um, I got to Dayton, Ohio, where their base is. And they were knocking down all the old uh, industrial buildings, some of them from the um, early 1900s. And um, underneath these buildings, because of the winter, they had tunnels where they could bring the, uh, let's say, the wood frames for the cash register. They transport them to another uh, factory and they'd put in the metal, uh, whatever. But they had uh, people on roller skates who would deliver messages and they'd roller skate through these tunnels to the other building. That's how vast NCR's uh, factory site was. Yeah. So no scooters, but lots of skates and um, and lots of exercise. Well, I mean, just like all these delivery guys that are coming to your house and bringing your food, right? I mean, like um, big news on on that whole front with these delivery guys. It's like what look what happened today, or like it's a couple of days ago. The Get Here acquires grocery app rival Gorillas. You guys read mm. about this? Yep. yep, we did. It's crazy, right? I mean, one point two billion dollar deal. It was invested around one point two billion or one point three billion dollars in cash. And what's this is one of those things that like you know you see the hype in the market. They'll take anything and make it hype. You know, it's not like it was like. It's like if you read the well, it's in no, it's in nobody's interest to um, say it was a bad deal, right? Of course, but for for our for our for our work, right? We have to always tame the beast. If people tell us, "Oh, I want to sell my company," parse the details. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah. look, well, if you if you read the fine print, they only got forty million dollars in cash out of this, hmm. out of the yeah. one point three that they put in. And the rest was equity swap, right? What what happens? It's kind of like hot potato. They just pass the ball. Yeah, but that's the only way these deals can be uh, done. Nobody's going to be paying you cash. Yeah, but it's, right? it's like... they're not throwing that much cash flow out there for somebody to pay you that. I mean, do you think the amount of money invested in something like Uber made sense? And Because this is the same thing, but it's like Uber for your food. You have it picked up from the store and delivered to your house. I love the app. I mean, I've ha- I have tortellini and stuff delivered to me all the time here. And like, if you <laughs> or if you order less than fifteen euro, they charge you two euro for like the low delivery amount, which is fine. But like, you know, I- I'm just I'm just thinking about this because like, so many investors that we're talking to today, they're like, we want B to B SaaS. Okay. But, you know, the, these things, I mean, this isn't B2B, this is direct-to-consumer, but the thing is that, like, the, the, this is, again, one of those hype things. You know, like, the, 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 the IRS puts out on the, on, the, on the newspaper, we're going to hire 60,000 people. That's hype. You know, Chatsworth opens a European office. That's hype right there. Uh, <laughs> you know hype, Ralph. Marcus, you're you building know, hype, Ralph. Real, Marcus, you are you are far from hype. Yeah, you're the real deal. That's it. I got. I got. Uh, you know, I'm just. I just read the notes here. You know, because the articles are great. But I, I even today during like 
a call I had. I, I showed this person. There's an amazing site called Edgar's, and it tells you everything. Like, but nobody ever wants to read the footnotes when they're reading the fine print. You know, they just read the book, and then there's like a, you know, in the, a lot of these books, they are like a quarter to half the bottom is like footnotes. That's where all the good stuff is. Yeah, that's all good for public companies. You know, when private deals get done, usually at times private deals, you know, you will always see uh, their valuations are mismatched uh, than public market. And that's what happens with all these companies that go from private to public. I mean, look, big investors like uh, even say, that things like 10Ks and 10Qs, the, they're much less detailed than they were like 20 years ago. You know, everything, it's like, I, I think that everything is private these days, even in the public market in comparison, because it's it's not much information that you get out of this stuff. You actually have to speak to people in the industry in order to get a lot of this information. Because I, I remember like 20 years ago, I used to read these things and it was much more, it was much easier to understand a lot of a lot of things because they provided the information things were detailed now everything is either hidden or they create like an EBITDA with some other letters attached to it like what we work did you know kept adding ways of 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 understanding what profitability looked like marcus uh you know it has over the years you know we are old school over the years we've seen uh, you know, if we had to do due diligence on a company, if A was selling to B, we went to B to find out with, whether A really sold something to B or not. Nowadays, it's all face value. Nobody checks. I wouldn't say nobody checks. They do, but it's more or less uh, just a courtesy, right? Nobody really does those diligence. And that's why you face all these issues. You know, you, 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 know, you talked about some things that's happening in the industry. I mean, look at uh, the big funds that have catered right now because of their silly uh, due diligence practices, right? We keep bringing this FTX because it's so nerve-wracking, it's so live, and it's so so raw right now. You know, people like, uh, companies like SoftBank and, you know, uh, Sequoia and Tiger Global, what were they thinking when they were investing? Who was checking? You know, nobody was checking. You know, if Marcus says it's good, you know, I just take his word and just move on. You know, we old school. We never did that. You know, we we always said, as Reagan used to say, trust but verify, right? And Nowadays, you got to be like to you got to be like Kanye West. You got to have faith. Oh, let's not go down that road. You don't have faith, friend. you know. No, let's not go down that road. Forget about it. You know. Well, I mean, I mean, uh, I I read an article and I I think I distributed it to everybody in the firm. It was uh, maybe about four months ago regarding how um, these very large venture firms, in order to compete with their uh, competitors down the road, they had to be uh, extremely lenient with the founders of companies or the, you know, the principals of um, the companies because they didn't want to lose the deal. So what this article was saying is, uh, you know, uh, uh, the amount of due diligence has gone down and um, corporate governance uh, uh, rules uh, or uh, criteria have uh, been eased and, um, because um, 
somebody could just walk away and walk down the street and get uh, uh, the same or better valuation. Absolutely. And that's clearly being exposed here, right? Clearly being exposed. Uh, and then you look at all these valuation and, you know, exactly what you just said. You know, people don't want to lose uh, the deal because the deal also means fees. It also means if the deal works out well, uh, it also means a feather in the cap and clunk crowning glory and all that good stuff. So they will give you certain metrics, which you know yourself is not doable or is not sustainable, but you still do it. I could tell you no, that all I, this... I, I don't know. I don't know if that's the case. I think it's, it's um, th these, these very large firms are looking for unicorns, you know, and they manage so much money now. Um, they're looking to, well, you know, why are you going to go to Sequoia? You're not going to Sequoia for uh, a 12% IRR. Uh, you're dealing with the uh, creme de la creme of, uh, venture capital firms you're expecting big things and um so they got to find they got to be uh, elephant hunters uh right, or unicorns right. so, so so you want you know all these terms of unicorns and everything is fantastic you know they make great conversation but if a firm or a company that you are financing is worth only a billion dollars why would you give it a 1.2 billion or 1.5, and I'm being generous here. You know, they usually go a billion dollar, they will go for $5 billion or $3 billion so that the other firm that's out there, you know, the, the, the founder says, well, this guy's giving me 3 billion, let me just go to this person, right? Because at the end, end of the yeah. day, his interest is different. But to get yeah, 1.3 billion uh... is a lot of faith, I'll tell you that much. I mean, like it's, it, it's I see some great companies like every every week speak to companies i mean like multiple companies it's just that it's just this is it's i mean who is going to think that delivery is where it's at and there's this is not the only delivery app certainly uber could they know. do uber eats right yeah they yeah. they added everything i mean um you know, it's it's like that. Um, it's like the you know back back in the in the eighties that movie Wall Street. You know, they were talking about Gordon Gecko says that everyone every everyone's got greed, and this week uh, Charlie Mung is saying everything's driven by envy. There's always some emotion that drives these things, right? That's why I tell every single founder, seventy to eighty percent of a deal, it's everything in your brain, it's in your head, it's ego, it's fear, and a lot of times when you look at something like this delivery app. You know, the, all over LinkedIn today, there was, ha I mean, all the VCs that were publishing this on their on their feeds, talking about how, you know, sometimes it's better to do little companies, build it, sell it, build another one, sell it, build another one, sell it, because you'll make more money versus like just trying to build unicorns every time. You know, sometimes you're going to hit it, sometimes you're not. Yeah, but Marcus, you know, uh, what Ralph was alluding to, when you have that kind of asset under management, you can't keep doing smaller companies. You have to do bigger companies. And, you, and then you have to do companies uh, that you assess yourself internally and say, well, it's not worth this much, but we have to give it a higher valuation because, uh, you know, that's how it fits the mandate, right? When you structure these uh, allocations, you know, it, it's... Well, I, I, mean, I mean, Swatek, it's also, you're looking for groundbreaking um, companies, right? Like when... 
Google first went to whoever they went to, um, there was not another Google. Uh, they were pioneers. And sometimes, as you know, the pioneers wind up with arrows in the back. Um, now, I think that, that you know, I, I, I'm not defending the venture capital firms, but uh, I would guess that there aren't too many of these uh, companies, maybe there are among smaller companies that uh, just don't know how to manage. But I, you know, I, I've been dealing with the venture capital community for a long time, and uh, I can tell you, based on my experience, they do a lot of due diligence, and they are careful. And um, but you know, there are bad people out there, and. Uh, I, I don't um, think uh, some Ralph... people that are not too smart and don't know how. Right. I, don't, I, I, I mean, this guy that ran um, uh, FTX, he should have realized what a opportunity he had in his life. And he should have gone to somebody and said, help me, you know, help me run this company. Right. Some. Yeah, some... I, so I don't think I'm, I'm not uh, at all saying People have bad intentions and they're doing it uh, knowingly, but it's more to win the project, to win to win the company uh, and get it under its fold. You are being more generous at times. You're doing your diligence. And that's no, you know, they're doing what diligence is needed. But if Sequoia, for example, is doing a deal and they've done a diligence and then ABC Fund joins them, they're not doing as much diligence on that company because Sequoia has done it. And that's where I'm saying that's wrong. They should go and do their own diligence based on their metrics, based on their, you know, uh, strategy. And, and, and then, and then come up at a conclusion to see if they want to join uh, investing uh, with, you know, any of these different funds. Sequoia interesting. But you, you know, what's interesting is how all this comes about. The decline, what we started with, the decline in valuations uh, of all the uh, hot tech companies, uh, the blowing up of FTX, uh, uh, the blowing up of crypto in general. Uh, it all goes back to the Federal Reserve. Uh, over the years, I have realized that the Fed plays such an important role in um uh, you know, stock valuations, the the economy, uh, inflation, uh, uh, it's it's almost everything, you know. So um, here, once again, the the Fed uh, stepped on the brakes, and uh, things start coming out of the woodwork. As they say, don't find the Fed, right? Or or, or they hit something and the the airbags and deploy. So like. <laughs> It's the um, but it, it it it's it's something. I mean, like, I think that it was it was. I mean, these companies were started pretty much during COVID, right? Like, it was the, some hype that happened. It was the beginning of COVID. No one knew how long it was going to last, and that thing became. They obviously knew what they wanted, right? Because there was that other article on TechCrunch that came out this week about how ninety nine percent of founders get it wrong when raising. These guys at these uh, delivery apps, they really knew what they wanted because if they get to $1.3 million, I mean, 
1.3 billion, that, that's something. That means that they asked for that money and they were very clear about how much they needed. So, I mean, so here, here's a list of the common mistakes uh, that people are making. It's like, number one, forgetting to include the slide altogether. So you, you go to a, a guy to raise money. You don't have a slide telling him how much you need. People leave that out. Um, that, that really happened at the startup stage, uh, yeah. not usually when they're, you know, going for B or C or whatever, or even yeah. A. Well, we got to start somewhere, right? I mean, right. when you look at the the, the capital raise numbers for uh, these delivery apps, I mean, they they really, I mean, if you go to Crunchbase, it's listed there. It's huge numbers each time. Number two, not naming a specific dollar amount you're raising. Okay. So if you don't have the slide, you can't say number two also. Number three, including a value, not including a valuation on the slide, uh, omitting what the fund will be used for, uh, and then list, and then listing a specific runway. For example, uh, this will keep us running for eighteen to twenty-four months. I don't know if I agree with that one too much because, like, you don't know. I, I don't also know. don't agree with the valuation. Um, you know, you you can't. The valuation is uh, is not something that. Can be again. It depends on again. Also depends on the stage of investment. So if yeah. it's a seed stage or pre-seed, you know, there's not much you can do on the valuation part. Uh, you yeah. can't demand what valuation it is. But yeah, if it's Series A, B, C, and you've you demonstrated, you know how well you've done, and you know your revenues and you know product services, you know obviously then you can then you you are in a better position. Yeah. You you work at a you, you advise a, a couple of VCs, right, Swanick? I mean, you you know how they think better than me, at least. Well, I don't know how they think. I try and I try and work with them. <laughs> they have a mind of their own. Because <laughs> once you told me you were like on a road trip or something, visiting with investors for the for the for the fund, I was like, oh, that's pretty impressive. You, you didn't forget your golf clubs. I'm sure about that kind of. Thing. Yes, I did. I did take that. <laughs> you know, but I, you know, it's funny. I'd gone to China once, go to Beijing, uh, for an agricultural fund, and they didn't let me see anything. They were like, "Oh, it's state secret, state secret," and I'm like, "Why am I here anyway?" Yeah, you if can't. Everything... You, you can't see the corn and potato crop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they showed me the buildings. Or oh, this is where this is kept, and this is where that mm. is kept. And I'm like, "Yeah, great." Let me just oh, value like the silos there. you're talking about. <laughs> you know, it was silos. These are, you know, kind of uh, boring-looking buildings. Let's call it a day. It's one of those times that we've uh, we've, we've, we've pressed on the issue. We we felt like we've answered everything. Any final words? Or... I yeah, think, I guess uh... we have to ask Swanick what his uh, <laughs> uh, handicap is, since he spent twenty five hundred dollars on golf clubs. Uh, you know, I don't think I want to disclose that on a podcast. <laughs> It's just funny because, like, I mean, this is a I, I, you, you, you know, the golf approach is great. I'm more of the boxing approach kind of thing. I'm like, like Ralph here, Rocky Balboa kind of thing, like, like the Italian <laughs> stallion, but not Italian. <laughs> the Irish, the Irish stallion. All right, you got good, good talking to you guys. Right. Same, Marcus. Guys.